0: Covering sanctification this morning, continuing our uh, series through the order of salvation. Covering sanctification. Uh, If you don't have an outline, you can find some in the back there. Uh, But before we get started with our lesson, let's open with prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your scripture that reveals to us your will for our salvation. We thank you so much for redeeming us in your son and for teaching us about that, and would you open our minds by the power of your spirit to understand more our salvation in Jesus, especially how he works, good works, in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, so far we've covered effectual calling, we've covered faith, justification, and adoption. And before we get started with sanctification, I wanted to do a quick kind of pop quiz Um, So far, uh, I'm going to point to these blessings that we've covered so far, and then I want you to say, you know, kind of a consensus. Do you think it's God's work or our work? So effectual calling, is this God's work or our work? God's work. Faith. Faith is our work. Faith is a gift that God gives us, but we're the ones who believe. Um, So faith is actually our work, but it's a work that's given to us by God. He enables it. It's a God-enabled work that we actually do. Justification. God's work. Adoption. Sanctification. (laughs) That one's a little bit of a question mark for most people, I think. I'm going to argue that it's God's work alone, and we will see that in our lesson. But that's usually, I think, what people get most confused when they're talking about sanctification. Uh, they think sanctification just means good works, and therefore it's our work or or something like that and so it's confusing but uh, so let's start with the definition of sanctification that we see in Westminster shorter catechism thirty five uh, This is on your outline and this pretty clearly says that it's God's work. Sanctification is the work of god 's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Quite clearly says it's God's work. Um, And then it gives us some other aspects of sanctification, what what its nature is. But before we get to the nature of sanctification, let's talk about just the word, sanctification, its label. What does sanctification mean? It has the same root as the word saint, which means holy ones. And sanctification means being made holy or becoming holy. And so it's it's talking about holiness. It's talking about uh, living holy lives, becoming holy. And something that we see in scripture is that holiness is objective and subjective. That means holiness is inside us and outside us. Uh, holiness is first objective. It is in relation to God. God determines who is holy by calling them His own. And so you see this in the Old Testament. Uh, the priests, uh, I think the high priest specifically, would wear a turban that said, holy to the Lord. Um, and it's, he's holy because he is the Lord's. He is the Lord's holy one. Um, and so it's first objective, but it's second subjective. Holiness is also a way of life. It's a standard uh, for how holy people ought to live. So if God says you're holy, you are mine, then you are now held to a holy standard. And so in sanctification, we are being made holy subjectively. We're being transformed into the kind of people who live holy lives. We're made objectively holy by Christ's death and resurrection through effectual calling, justification, adoption. Uh, And we're made subjectively holy in sanctification as we're enabled to walk according to the holy standard we are given as a holy people. In other words, holiness is a status and a standard. We have a status as holy, objectively, we're given that, it's unchangeable, and then we have a standard that goes along with that status. And sanctification is the process of being made to live according to the standard of holiness. Sanctification is becoming subjectively who we already are objectively. It's becoming in our actions and before other people what we already are in a relationship, Uh, in our standing with God. And we can see this in Colossians 3. Paul says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, and then put on as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts. So he's saying saying, put to death and put on these virtues, but this is talking about sanctification. And in the context of sanctification, in the context of saying uh, continue to further your sanctification, he says that you are holy you already are holy. And so that's the objective, that's the status in the midst of talking about sanctification. So that's what sanctification means. Now the nature of sanctification, the nature is progressive transformation. We can see this in Westminster Confession 13, section one. They who are effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are farther, and, are farther sanctified really and personally. So if you remember from last week, I said that in the Westminster Standards, uh, the God's works, uh, God's legal works of salvation are called acts. So justification and adoption are acts of God, and his transformative works are called works. Uh, and so effectual calling is the work of God's spirit. That's what it says in Westminster Shorter Catechism. And then sanctification, as we saw in Uh, Shorter Catechism 35, at the beginning of your outline, sanctification is the work of God's free grace. And so it's a transformation, it's a transformative work of redemption, just like effectual calling. But while effectual calling was the initial work of transformation in our hearts to turn us to Christ in faith, sanctification is the continued and progressive work of transformation in our hearts to conform us to the image of God Sanctification is a grace of God by which we are enabled to imitate Christ. And this is uh, the continued renewal or renovation of the heart in which believers shed off their sins, they put to death their sins, and they put on righteous virtues. It's not a one-time act, it's a continual process throughout the entire Christian life. And so it's progressive, it continues on, and it's transformation. Next, why is sanctification necessary? It's necessity. Why is it necessary? Um, you know, of course, some would disagree with this. Some would say that sanctification is not necessary. Um, various forms of antinomianism or... Um, oh, there there's another group that I had in my head, but I lost it. They would say that sanctification... Say it again? Easy believism. Easy believism, yeah, something like that. Um, free grace, in, in if you've heard of the lordship... Controversy, uh, the free grace side of that controversy. Uh, Sanctification is not necessary, but it is necessary according to Reformed theology. And so why? First, sanctification is necessary because it is inseparable from election and effectual calling. We see this in uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, 75. They whom God has before the foundation of the world chosen to be holy are in time renewed in their whole man after the image of God. And so there's a connection between election and sanctification. If God elected you, then He will sanctify you. And then in Westminster Catechism, uh, sorry, Westminster Confession of Faith, 13. Uh, They who are effectually called and regenerated are farther sanctified, really, and personally. And so there's this connection between effectual calling or regeneration and sanctification. If you are effectually called, if you're enabled to believe by the Holy Spirit, then you will be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The second reason that sanctification is necessary is that we who have been elected and effectually called and justified and adopted, we have been freed from sin's power in justification, but we have not been freed from sin's presence. So when Jesus died on the cross, he put all our sins to death. When we are united to that in our justification, when we are forgiven all our sins and accepted as righteous in God's sight, then sin's power is taken away. It has no dominion over us. It can't condemn us anymore, in other words but we still have sin in our hearts and our minds. The doctrine of total depravity means that every part of every person is in some measure touched by the corrupting effects of sin. It doesn't mean that everybody is totally depraved, but that means that, sorry, it doesn't mean that everybody is depraved as they could be. It means that everybody is depraved in every part of their person, their intellect, their will, their emotions, Their thoughts, their words, everything is touched by sin. It doesn't mean that everything is as sinful as it could be. But every part of every person is touched by the corrupting effects of sin. But when the Spirit regenerates you, you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, since the Spirit made you alive together with Christ. That's Ephesians 2. So you're no longer totally depraved. There are parts of you that have had the effects of sin removed. You're able to believe in Christ. That's the biggest one that you can see immediately. That is not possible because of total depravity, but in effectual calling, you are enabled to believe in Christ. But you're not, but not all of the effects of sin are removed. You haven't been completely freed from sin, even though you have been Uh, raised with Christ. We see this in Westminster Confession uh, 13.2. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part. And so, we're not totally depraved as we were before Christ. We are able to believe in Christ, but we still have remnants of corruption, remnants of sin's corruption in every part of us we're uh we're not we're no longer totally depraved but we're not totally sanctified either. And so as Christians made alive by the spirit we have remnants of sin's corruption in every part of us and sanctification is the process of removing these remnants and replacing them with righteous virtues. Sanctification is concerned with the remnants of corruption that are in every part of us. And so I'm going to read Romans 6, 5 to 14, because this is a very great passage on sanctification. Romans 6, starting in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he, had, he died to sin. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. Do not present your members as, an, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And so in this passage, we can see that Paul is saying in light of your justification, because you have been freed from sin, because Christ died to sin on your behalf, You are to put sin to death. In light of being freed from the power of sin, it has no power over you, as in verse 14, you are to put sin to death. It's been dethroned in our lives. It it no longer has power, authority over us, but in light of that, we are exhorted to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We are being freed from sin's presence as we are raised into newness of life with Christ. So that's the necessity of sanctification. Next, the power. What is the power of sanctification? Is it our own power? Is it something else? As we see in Westminster Confession 13, we are further sanctified really and personally through, ver- through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. And so the power of our sanctification is Christ's death and resurrection. In other words, Jesus not only died and made atonement to justify us, he even died and made atonement to sanctify us. We can see this in larger Catechism 75 as well. Through the powerful operation of his spirit, applying the death and resurrection of Christ unto them. Jesus puts our sin to death on the cross and he rose from the dead to give us resurrection life. And that's what gives us our sanctification. He put our sin to death and rose for our justification. And so we follow his pattern of death and resurrection. And we'll see that in a second with the twofold operation. We follow his pattern. We saw this reality that the power of our sanctification is Christ's death and resurrection. We saw that already in Romans 6, that Jesus died uh, to sin on our behalf and so he, he, he affected our sanctification. He gave us the power of sanctification. We can also see this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And you can see right there, it's Christ's crucifixion and his life that give Paul the power of sanctification, the power of living as a Christian. In Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified or those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, Christ's death, the power of sanctification. That's right after the fruits of the spirit. He says that. So the power is Christ's death and resurrection. And next, the the agent and means. And by agent, I mean who does the sanctifying? Who is it that sanctifies? and means uh, by that i mean what does he use does he use anything to sanctify and we can see this again clearly westminster confession 13 christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them we are we are sanctified by christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in us and so we can see sanctification like justification is god's work we we saw this earlier especially in uh, shorter Catechism 35, sanctification is God's work. He is the agent. First uh, Thessalonians 5.23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is the one who sanctifies in First Thessalonians 5.23. But like all of God's external works, sanctification is the work of the whole Trinity. The Father sanctifies us, John 17, 17. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them. So the Father sanctifies us. The Son sanctifies us, John fifteen five. He said, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. So the Son sanctifies us that we bear fruit. And the Spirit sanctifies us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 1 Peter 1, 2. Both of those say, the, the Spirit's sanctification, or the sanctification of the Spirit. The Father sanctifies us through His Word and Spirit, and the Son is the vital life force that we're united to and empowers our sanctification, and the Spirit is the one who actively sanctifies us. He is specifically the agent. He is the one who is in our hearts and minds changing them. Uh, we can see this in Romans 8, <clears throat> starting in verse 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Whoever, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, the Spirit is especially the agent of sanctification. Again, you can see that in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Peter 1.2. And so, sanctification is not our work, it's God's work. Becoming, uh, we, we don't become sanctified by trying really hard. We don't have to change our own hearts. You know, uh, Charles Finney, a very famous uh, Second Great Awakening evangelist had a sermon entitled, Sinners Bound to Change Their Own Hearts. That is not what the Bible teaches us. God changes our hearts in effectual calling and continues that in sanctification. Galatians three, starting in verse two, let me ask you this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? just as Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. In other words, not only justification, but also sanctification is through faith and it is a gift of God, especially of God's Spirit. And so the Spirit is the agent of sanctification, especially, and the Word is the ordinary means by which the Spirit sanctifies us. The Word of God, the Bible, is what the Spirit uses to change our hearts and minds, especially, we see this in John 17, 7, uh, seventeen seventeen, Jesus prays to his Father, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And so just as the word of God was made effectual by the Spirit to draw us to Christ in faith, when we hear the gospel for the first time, the Spirit works in our hearts through the gospel and brings us to faith, so it is made effectual to strengthen our faith and bear fruit in good works. The same gospel is made effectual to strengthen our faith and bear good works. We see this in Ephesians 5.26 as well. Uh, Speaking of Christ uh, and the church, it says that Christ, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Also, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And so the Bible teaches us God's law and gospel. For redeemed Christians, the law is like a map. It shows us what we ought to do uh, to obey God's word. It shows us what we ought to do to show God gratitude. It guides us in how we ought to live. And the gospel not only brings us to Christ, but it's like the wind in our sails as we go forward in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit makes both the law and the gospel effective effective for sanctification, but especially the gospel. And this sounds counterintuitive, but this was one of the great insights of the Reformation, that you can't become more holy just by hearing more laws spewed at you. Just you know, you can't become more holy by just being told you shall not murder, you shall not steal. You need to hear that, but you need especially to hear the gospel. Because The good works that come from sanctification are a thanks offering to god for our salvation in the gospel and the more we hear the gospel the more thankful we are in our hearts which flows out in good works done out of gratitude to god and so the more we hear it the more we're thankful and the more we do those good works and the law shows us what good works we ought to do but we can't just do those good works by only hearing the law we need to hear the gospel and so what about our works? If sanctification is God's work alone and not our work, which we clearly see from 1 Thessalonians five twenty-three, what about our works? Do they come into play at all? Is it, is it synergistic or is it monergistic? Fancy words for is it us working with God or is it God's work alone? Uh, and of course, I'm arguing that it's God's work alone. Sanctification is monergistic. Uh, But that doesn't give us an excuse to sit back and do nothing. It doesn't give us an excuse to just let God do his work because it's his work and just do nothing. Uh, John Murray in Redemption Accomplished and Applied says this, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. But the relation is that because God works, we work. Because God works, we work. And so first and foremost, we are sanctified by faith. We see that in Romans 14.23 and Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so our faith is our biggest work when it comes to sanctification. All of our good works are fruit of our saving faith. Our faith in Christ is not just trusting in him for sanctification, but even for, sorry, not just trusting him for justification, but even for sanctification, And this is our primary cooperation uh, in our sanctification. We're trusting in Christ to sanctify us. You can see that in the definition of faith in the Westminster Confession of Faith, that it's resting, receiving, and accepting on Christ even for our sanctification. Sanctification is a monergistic work of God. It's God's work alone, but not one in which we are completely passive like in Regeneration. In regeneration, it's monergistic, and we're passive. In sanctification, it's monergistic, but we're not completely passive. Because sanctification is a monergistic work of God in which he makes us willing and able to work, and he even engages our activity. So sanctification is a work of God alone, but one in which he makes us willing and able to work. And so, any work that we do is a gift of God and a result of God's work in us. And God also enables us to work in ways that further our sanctification. God enables our efforts to create good habits. You know, you create a good habit by doing something. If you want to create the habit of brushing your teeth every morning, you have to brush your teeth every morning. Uh, And so, God enables us to create good habits and uses those efforts to sanctify us, to to be kind of people that have good habits and that do good things out of those habits. And so God produces our efforts and uses our efforts as a means to his end. And we see this so clearly in Philippians two twelve through 13. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that'd be really scary if he stopped there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But he doesn't stop there, the next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your fear, but do it because God works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so good works, we we would say good works are a fruit of faith, good works are a fruit of justification, but good works are even a fruit of sanctification. God works in us, and our works flow out of God's work. So sanctification produces our good works. Our good works aren't sanctifying us per se. God bears the fruit of good works in us, and that is sanctification. He sanctifies us to bear good fruits. And so that is our work, that is the agent and the means. Next, the twofold operation. And by this, I'm talking about dying to sin and living to righteousness. This is what we saw in the very beginning, at the top of your outline, 35. We're enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. We also see this in Westminster Confession 13, uh, where it says, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified. And they are more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to practice of true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And so we see these two parts. We see dying and living. In other words, mortification and vivification, being Uh, dying to sin and living to righteousness. And so mortification is this negative side of sanctification. It's putting sin to death by the power of the the Spirit. We saw this in Romans 8.13 earlier. If by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, Romans 8.13. You can see this in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3.10, where it says, put off the old self, or... uh, uh, Colossians 3, five put to death what is earthly in you. So this is mortification. It's putting to death the sinful parts, the, the remnants of sin that, that are in us. And we do that by the power of the Spirit and through the Word. And uh, Michael and I were talking about this earlier this week. Dying is painful. It, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's, uh, it, part of mortification is just being shown how sinful you are, being convicted of, of the weight and the gravity of your sin, and it hurts. It's not fun. Uh, It feels really discouraging at times, but that's part of sanctification. It's being shown your sinfulness in dying to your sin, dying to yourself. And then there's the positive aspect as well, vivification, being uh, made to life, being quickened, uh, as the confession says, which just means being brought to life, Bringing righteousness to life, uh, we see it in uh, 12, Romans twelve two, being transformed by the renewal of your mind, uh, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is pleasing to Him. Uh, Colossians three twelve, Paul Paul says, put on, and then he he lists a number of virtues. Put on kindness, um, and love, etc. Put on righteous virtues. And then, of course, Galatians five twenty two and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, bear the fruit of the Spirit. That is, that is the positive side of sanctification. That's bringing to life righteousness. So mortification and vivification, the twofold operation of sanctification. Next, the extent of sanctification. By this, I mean, how far does it reach? Is it limited? Um, is it entire? Can we be fully sinless in this life? We see in Westminster Confession 13 too, this sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There abides still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so we see quite clearly, sanctification occurs throughout our whole person, just like total depravity did. Anywhere that sin had its corrupting influence, sanctification touches. And so this means our whole persons are being sanctified. Our, not only our wills, but even our abilities, our desires, our affections, our actions, our intellect, our speech, our thoughts, all of this is being sanctified, our whole person. But even though the entire person is being sanctified, uh, sanctification is not entirely accomplished in this life. It's throughout the entire person, but it's not entirely accomplished. Just as there were remnants of corruption in us after the Spirit's work of regeneration and our being freed from sin's power and justification, so there are remnants of sin's corruption throughout the process of sanctification. And this results in a war between flesh and spirit, between the remnants of corruption and the Spirit dwelling within us and the renewed parts of us. And so sanctification is not entire in this life. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a second. Sanctification is a progressive work. We'll always need to be sanctified as long as we're in these bodies in this life. Next, the victory and fruit of sanctification. Uh, Sanctification is a war like we just read. It's a war between flesh and spirit, between sin and righteousness, an internal war. And we see in Westminster Confession thirteen: three, in this war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the spirits gro- and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so even though the Christian life is like a war between flesh and spirit, and sometimes it seems like a losing battle, like we see in Romans 7, it seems like we're losing battle. Christians will persevere and overcome. Regenerate Christians will persevere and overcome in this battle. We see this in 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who has been born of God, that means regenerate. Everybody who's been regenerated by the Spirit. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And so this means that despite trial and trouble, those who trust in Christ will progress in sanctification and grow in grace and be perfected in holiness. That's the victory of sanctification. It will, we will have victory in sanctification through Christ and the Spirit if we trust in Christ. The fruit of sanctification, the fruit of sanctification is not just righteous behaviors. It's not just doing a righteous thing here and there. It's actually righteous people. The fruit of sanctification is not just righteous behaviors, but righteous people. We see this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit aren't just actions, they are virtues. And a virtue is a way of life, a character trait or a habit. Uh, the, The Spirit doesn't just make us act a certain way. He gives us certain character traits. And these character traits make us the kind of people that act a certain way, even without thinking. For example, a courageous person isn't just someone who has courage once or twice. Rather, a courageous person, through repeated acts of courage, is the kind of person who performs acts of courage without even thinking. It's natural to him, it's his habit. It's like when you wake up in the morning and you just brush your teeth because you created that habit. That's what it is for a courageous person who has that virtue of courage. And so it's the same in the Christian life. It's the same with love, with hope, with faith, with all of the Christian virtues. We are given the virtue of love over time through repeated acts of love so that we become the kind of people that perform acts of love without thinking. Love becomes natural to us. It becomes our habit, what we do when we're not intending to do that. And that's what the Spirit bears in our lives. He bears virtues Um, That's the fruit of sanctification, not just actions here and there, but virtues. And so last for the definition of sanctification, it's context in the order of salvation. Like I've said, I've been emphasizing this week after week, the relationship among these blessings of the order of salvation, you can add to it perseverance and glorification at the end, the relationship is that the later blessings are founded upon the earlier blessings, and so, sanctification is founded on all preceding blessings of salvation, especially justification and adoption. And all following works of salvation are founded upon sanctification, especially perseverance. And we can see a lot from this. You see, there's some, some Bible verses that show this effectual callings relationship to sanctification. Uh, in 1 John, John has this series of statements where he says, those who are born of God do X. So he says, those who are born of God do not make a practice of sinning. Those who are born of God love. Um, and so we can see this relationship between effectual calling and sanctification. Between faith and sanctification, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, justification and sanctification, we see this in Romans uh, 7, 4, and 6. I believe he's talking about how we are freed from the law, and because we are freed from the law, we ought to bear fruit uh, for Christ, for righteousness. And so being freed from the law is justification, uh, and bearing fruit for righteousness is sanctification. Um, adoption and sanctification. We saw this in Romans eight, thirteen. 13. Um, if we have the spirit of adoption in our hearts, then we will put to death the deeds of the body. So if we have been adopted, then we will be sanctified. Sanctification and perseverance, Philippians 1.6, he who has begun a good work in you will uh, bring it to completion. Again, sanctification and glorification, same verse. So this relationship between sanctification and the other blessings is extremely important. I think this is where we can go the most wrong when we're talking about salvation. But we see that because sanctification comes after justification, our good works in no way cause or change our standing before God. Because sanctification comes after justification, our good works in no way cause or change are standing before God. Justification is our standing before God, it's our righteous, being accepted as righteous in God's sight. And it comes before, it's already finished and complete, it's definite. We have our standing before God before we even bear any good fruits. Unto righteousness and sanctification. So that's extremely important for the, th- for the Reform doctrine of sanctification and justification. Next, on your outline, denying the different views, and so we're, we're going to go through just two really fast two different views of sanctification. First, Rome, the, the Roman Catholic uh, view of sanctification. They basically say that justification is sanctification. They don't distinguish between these two blessings. So as a Christian is being transformed uh, by using the sacraments, they get grace from the sacraments. And so as they're using the sacraments, they are able to do more good things. And as they're doing more good things, you become more justified before God. To the degree that a Christian follows God's law, To the same degree, he becomes more acceptable in God's sight. This is what the Roman Catholic Church believes about sanctification and justification. A Christian receives grace from the sacraments to be a better person, and as he becomes a better person, he becomes more and more prepared for heaven. But even after becoming more and more prepared for heaven in this life, you still need to spend time in purgatory to purge your sins. You still need to go to purgatory to be fully prepared for heaven. And so for Rome, Christians are justified because they're sanctified. They're justified because of the good works that they do uh, in what we would call sanctification. They don't have sanctification, but that's what we would call it. But for the Reformed, we are sanctified because we are justified. It's the exact opposite. We do good works because of our standing before God. And this is the most valuable result of the Reformation. It's the distinction between justification and sanctification. The Roman doctrine was the consensus view in the medieval period, and it became official church doctrine at the Council of Trent. So it wasn't official church doctrine until the Council of Trent, but it was a consensus view. But the Reformed and the Protestants have insisted that our standing before God is determined by, Christ goods, by Christ's good works, and our good works flow from our justification, our forgiveness, our being accepted as righteous. And so, our good works in no way contribute to our being accepted by God. If they did, we would never be accepted by God. Our good works are always tainted, always corrupted by sin, always imperfect. Rather, justification and sanctification are separate, and sanctification must come after. This is where we would differ with Rome. And next, entire sanctification. This is um, held by some Christians like Wesleyans or Armenians, uh, Methodists, This was famously held by Pelagius in the 4th century, 4th, 5th century. Uh, Basically, entire sanctification says that in this life, a Christian can be entirely sanctified. A Christian can be sinless, can be uh, only doing what God wants you to do, can be only obeying. Uh, Methodists tend to say that you're free from willful sins, and you can still sin uh, involuntarily, but you're free from willful sins. Uh, But as noted above, in this life, even the holiest people only make a small beginning in obedience. Sanctification is not entire. Entire sanctification is what we call glorification. We won't be entirely sanctified until we are glorified. Uh, We see this various places in the Bible. First uh, John one eight is the clearest. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Um, okay, let's distinguish sanctification from justification and regeneration really quickly. Hopefully, it's been obvious throughout the, throughout this entire lesson how justification and sanctification are distinct. Justification is our righteous standing before God. It's our forgiveness of sins and being accepted as righteous in God's sight only for Christ's righteousness imputed to us, received by faith alone. And sanctification is a process in which we become righteous people. Older Reformed theologians called this the twofold benefit or grace of Christ. And so contrary to Rome, who only has the one benefit of justification, Protestant churches confess a twofold benefit, justification and sanctification. And not only are these two benefits distinct, but they have a distinct relationship. Justification comes before sanctification and causes it. That means that a person cannot be justified without also being sanctified, which would refute antinomians who, who would uh, say that we don't have to do good works at all. But this also means that our good works don't contribute to our standing before God in any way. Works are a fruit and evidence of justifying faith and sanctification. And so this would refute legalism or neo nomianism which says that uh, good works contribute to our standing before God. So we are sanctified as the justified. We are sanctified as people who have been accepted by God as righteous, but we are not justified as the sanctified. And in fact, we are justified as the unsanctified, as the ungodly in Romans four five. We are justified as the unsanctified. We see this relationship in Romans 7, 6. We are now released from the law in our justification so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit in our sanctification. And so justification causes our sanctification. One purpose of justification is our sanctification. Now distinguishing sanctification from regeneration. They who are effectually called and regenerated having a new heart and a new spirit in them are further sanctified really and personally. Westminster Confession 13, 1. And so both regeneration and sanctification are transformative works of the spirit. Regeneration is the initial work in our hearts to bring us to faith in Christ, but sanctification is the continued process of renewal in our hearts in which the spirit strengthens our faith and bears other fruits like hope and love. Regeneration is the Spirit's work, making us willing and able to embrace Jesus Christ. And sanctification is the Spirit's work of making us willing and able to live righteous lives out of gratitude for our salvation in Christ. That's that's distinguishing sanctification from regeneration. And last, I'll close with a, a brief word of application. And you'll see in the back of your outline, you have some appendices these, this is stuff that I wasn't able to cover in my lesson. There was a lot, uh, and it's just for your information. If you have time, if you're curious, James two twenty four is the number one verse thrown at the reformed uh, by Roman Catholics to say that you're wrong about justification by faith alone. So, if you're curious about how to understand James two twenty four in light of our doctrine of justification and sanctification, I'd recommend you look at that. Hopefully, it'll be helpful. But a quick word of application. We've seen that salvation does not depend on you. It begins with God's work in effectual calling, even before that in election. And throughout, it's God's work. And our works are only fruit of God's work in us. And so that means our sins do not disqualify us from heaven. That means you don't have to earn God's love. You you will never lose your salvation. Your salvation never depends on you or your faithfulness, but only on God's. Even the process of becoming more holy is not your work. It's God's work. Sanctification is God's work of free grace. It doesn't depend on us any more than justification. We don't, be, we don't become holy by our own efforts. Our good works are a fruit of sanctification. But that doesn't excuse us from putting in effort either. Instead, it secures the outcome. If God is the one who sanctifies you, then you will indeed be sanctified. As Paul said in Galatians 3.3, 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, having begun by faith, Are you now being perfected by works? Instead, all of salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, depending on God alone. And this should uh, endow us with an immense amount of assurance and gratitude to God. We should be assured not only of our standing before God in our justification, but even of our becoming righteous in our sanctification. We will be sanctified if it is God who sanctifies us. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And so you should be assured not only of your standing before God, but even of your, progress, uh, of your progress in holiness. Sanctification can be very discouraging at times. It can seem like we're taking one step forward, two steps back. But it is God who sanctifies you, and if he sanctifies you, then you can have assurance that you will make progress. And also gratitude. If it is God's work in you, then you ought to respond in thanksgiving. Our works are only done out of gratitude to God in response to his work in us. That's the outline of the book of Romans and the Heidelberg Catechism and even the Christian life. It's guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so don't lose heart, but trust in God for your sanctification and strive to show him thanks by performing good works, knowing that he works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. And obviously I've taken up all of our time. So if you have any questions, come and see me afterward. Thanks for hanging in.